Before we begin today, I want to tell you about a very special day coming up so that you can help spread the word. June 4th is going to be World Homeschoolers Day. If you're a homeschooling family or know someone who does, please make sure to spread the word. It's a perfect day to celebrate the freedom and joy in homeschooling. You can find out more by going to www.worldhomeschoolersday.com. Hey there, welcome to Imperfectly Pollyanna. I am your host, Courtney, a faith-filled homeschool mom of two, certified health coach, medical professional, and eternal optimist. I have got the episode of all episodes today for you as I interview my good friend, Lindsay Marie. Now, Lindsay and I actually met on Facebook, of all places, another internet sensation friendship. (laughs) And I have been able to see her growth, of course, one-sided as much as she shares on on social media, but I've been able to see her growth just personally and through her homeschool journey. And I could not think of a better person to get on and share her story. She is a homeschooling mom, but she has not come that way easily. It's not come without some bumps and bruises and some damage that had to be undone from her child being in the public school system. And that's not to say anything against those teachers that we know and we love in the school system. So if you are one of them, please don't be offended. We love you, but it's so much deeper than that. And I have to tell you that this interview is probably gonna step on your toes. Now, you may not be a homeschooling family, and that's okay, as I've said in the past, The things that I share here are not just for homeschoolers. Yes, they circle around our lives for the most part, but they can be applied to anyone at any place in their life. And so I ask that you just join us today, be open-minded, and again, you might have your toes stepped on, but it's all done in love and the desire to find the good in life's imperfections. So without further ado, I want to welcome Lindsay Marie. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. I have a few notes down because basically I want to talk about all the things, but I'll try to contain myself. And then if we have to come back another time, we will. (laughs) Being a homeschool mom, could you maybe just kind of start by just sharing like, how did you get started with homeschool? Did you have any experience with it? What were your thoughts beforehand? And just kind of like, what brought you about to wanting to homeschool? So I will say that initially I was a super anti-homeschooling homeschooler. (laughs) I was very, very reluctant to homeschool. I I did personally know one homeschooler growing up um, and he married my sister and then they got divorced shortly after. So it was not a good experience. And and he was like what you would call a uh, I'm using scary air quotes here, a weird, unsocialized homeschooler. He was one of those. He was one of those. But looking back on it now, he would have been one of those in public school as well. So it would not have mattered uh, what version of schooling he went went to. So that was literally my only experience with homeschool, period. So what led us to homeschooling was just this really, well, looking back on it now, obviously it was God. Um, But it was a super crazy set of circumstances where literally homeschool was the only option because we were moving so frequently that 
school did not make sense because I would have had to have pulled my kid out of school and put him back in and then pulled him out and then put him back into a new school. And it just would have been so upsetting and crazy. I was working full time throughout my homeschool journey or throughout my wife journey. We were living in West Palm Beach, Florida at the time. And if you're not familiar with West Palm Beach, it is really crazy. Like the headlines that come out of Florida typically come out of West Palm Beach, Florida. So like (laughs) everything bad that you read about Florida almost always comes out of West Palm Beach. And so um, we lived just down the street from a school and I was uh, heavily pregnant at the time. I was still working and I had pulled over to take my lunch break in front of a school and it was recess. And I was listening. I just turned the car off and so I had the windows down and it was hot. I was listening and the kids were like little kids. Like it was an elementary school. I was not trying to be a creeper. It just was a good place with shade to like have lunch when you're super pregnant. So I was listening to what the kids were saying and I was appalled, (laughs) absolutely appalled because the language coming out of these tiny bodies was like rival to what I heard on frat row. (laughs) You know, it was disgusting. And so I was thinking I would beat my child (laughs) (laughs) if I ever heard them say this. And this is, I wasn't, I wasn't saved yet at that time. So I definitely had, I'm going to kill my child mentality. (laughs) I was not yet walking with the Lord, but I just was so upset by what I heard. And I went back home. We were living in this apartment and I said to Justin, yeah, my kid can't go to school here. <laughs> just he can't. <laughs> and Justin was like, what are you saying? And I'm like, well, I know it's a ways off because, you know, we still have a few years, but we can't live in West Palm Beach and have a baby. Like we can't, because if that's what's said, and I had it in my mind that it was that school that was the problem because mm-hmm. we lived in not a good area. Like there was literally an abortion mill on the corner of the street that we lived on. And so not a good area. The point is, is that I've had it in my mind that because we lived in this bad area of the state, that that's why the school was bad. And I had just totally forgot about growing up in this. I grew up in a very rural, like my graduating class was 60. It was a very small school and it wasn't any different. And I just forgotten all of that. And I thought, oh, because it's an inner city type of school, you know, that's the problem. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the school system, period. (laughs) Not that particular school. And so we moved, we left West Palm Beach. Uh, We really couldn't afford it once I had a baby anyway, because I wasn't working full time anymore. And the goal was, there wasn't really a goal. Like after we moved, we moved north to uh, Port St. Lucie. It was a nicer area, like suburbia. I had a lot of friends that were school teachers in the public school system there. As as we, you know, acclimated to the culture in Port St. Lucie, which was not inner city, it was very suburbia. As we got in and I made friends and I started making friends who had kids that were older than mine. And so I started, you know, listening what they were saying about the school systems and how it works. And I realized that 
it was no different there either. I had a friend who was teaching second grade at the time, and she had a second grader pull a knife on her in in an A-rated school where the teachers were Christian, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, and she was telling me this over a dinner we had together one night, and I just was looking at her so incredulously. And she must have thought that I just couldn't wrap, and I really couldn't wrap my head around a seven-year-old pulling a knife on a teacher. I was just dumbfounded. And I think I said something to the effect of like, is that something that happens often? And she was like, it happens more than you would know or more than you'd expect. And I was like, the, the knife pulling or what? And she was like, or what? She was like, you know, just name it. And I've seen it, heard it, experienced it, blah, 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 blah. And so she starts going into this like whole narrative about everything that she's seen. And she teaches second grade. And I am thinking in my head, what? Like, you know, just, and I'm like, okay, I, I can't really remember what second grade was like, but I don't think it was like that, but chances are it probably really was like, chances are nothing really has changed. She goes, uh, she was like, yeah, if I had the, uh, if I could stay home, I would homeschool. And she had children of her own that were in the same school. I believe her, her husband is a teacher as well. And I, that whole statement, like, struck me so strange. And I was like, wait, why don't you stay home and homeschool? You're a teacher. Like if anybody's equipped to stay home and teach their kids, isn't it a teacher? And, you know, she was saying, oh, well, we have, we have to pay for the house and the two cars and the vacations and the blah, 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 blah. blah. And I think it was then that I started connecting my lifestyle choices are what could keep me at home or not. And so at that same point in time, the market had started like fluctuating again. And I had been invited to a really solid theological church that I didn't know was a theological church at the time. And a friend of mine, I was kind of living between these two worlds where I wanted to do the the cultural norm, which was send my kid to school, go off to work and live the two cars, picket fence, one big vacation a year lifestyle. And then I had this other group of friends who were the anti-cultural norm. They were the one car, small house, staycation crowd. But when I start, when I was hanging out with these two groups of people, I realized that there was such a vast difference in contentment between the two groups. And I always thought that the more money and the nicer things you had, like the nicer and the more content you would be. I grew up super, super poor. So um, we were homeless quite a bit. There wasn't a lot of wants, you know, there was like basic needs were fulfilled. And so when I got into the lifestyle of the two income family and we had all this money coming in, it was kind of hard to see how life could be better if I stopped working and if we lost that second income. And so all of this does tie into homeschooling because when we were living that double income lifestyle, we racked up a stupid amount of debt, so much debt that I could have gone to college like three times. 
And um, my husband got really, really good at playing the debt shuffling game, like putting money on this card when it's zero interest and doing the transfers and all this stupid stuff. So anyways, he was under a whole ton of stress. In 2012, his job, when the market tanked in Florida, his job kind of got put on the line. He applied for a job in Alabama, which is where my family lives. And we did not want to go to Alabama. That was not in the plans at all, zero plans. But I had recently just been baptized. I had recently just started repenting from a ton of sin, including materialism and the debt culture and not being subservient to my husband and those kind of things, just repenting from all these different sins. The job offer came to move to Alabama and we had like three weeks where we had to literally just find a place in Alabama to live and move. And that was like, it was that or not have a job in Florida. At this time, Austin had just been accepted to a magnet kindergarten. So we had been dabbling with homeschool prior to this because I knew I wanted to come home. Um, I knew I didn't want to be working outside of the house. I just didn't know how to do that right? because we had so much debt because we were paycheck to paycheck. And it seemed like if we lost my income, which looking back on it, we did the math. My income was literally nothing after taxes, after paying for gas, after buying clothes and eating out for lunch and the, and paying for daycare, my income amounted to like 600 extra dollars a year. And I was like, I wasted three years of my life working to make maybe $2,400, maybe $2,400. And it was just not something I had ever thought about until the group in, in the church that I was going to started asking why do you have two cars? You, if you want to stay at home, you don't need two cars. If you want to stay at home, you really cannot be eating out like this. Like how much are you spending on food? And I was, you know, I was starting to like pour out my heart to these ladies and saying, like, it grieves me that someone else is raising my child when he was in daycare. It grieves me that he comes home and he now knows his ABCs and I didn't teach that to him. And it grieves me that I didn't see all these firsts in it. Like it really started weighing super heavy on my heart. So at this whole time, Justin's job gets put on the line. We have three weeks to move to Alabama. I was so heartbroken about, I don't know if you know about the Florida lottery system for schools, but in order to get into the good schools in Florida, you got to put your kids into the lottery. And Austin got first round selection to this magnet school for science and math. And it was like the best in the whole county school, that type of thing. And so he gets this selection and Justin gets the call that he either has to take the job in Alabama or he's probably not going to have a job in Florida. And I'm like heartbroken because now I know that this means we have to move to Alabama and Alabama has one of the worst school systems in the nation. So we're going to move to Alabama. And I am thinking it's going to be awful. Like, how am I going to put my son into this school system where I know it's bad? Like I've seen the outcome of it. My, my brothers and sisters went to school in Alabama. Two of them dropped out. They couldn't deal with how awful it was. The other two did graduate. I'm the oldest of five. 
but they, they didn't really go anywhere with their education and the, the education was very lacking essentially. So this is back before I had a different view of what education was supposed to look like. And so I had this idea that education was your ABCs, your one, two, threes, and that was education. I have a very, very different worldview right now. Um, so things have very much progressed in a good fashion. <laughs> so education doesn't look like that to me anymore, but in this point in time, it did. And so I was heartbroken that we were going to leave the best school in the state to move to the worst state in my mind, the worst state possible, right? So we moved to Alabama um, and it was, we were there for three years. And the first year we had to move to the worst school system district in the whole state. Like the, it was failing. Every school in that district was failing. And my son would not have just been like the minority. He would have been like the only child <laughs> in the whole school. And so I was kind of terrified because how do I prepare him for this? But at the same time, I was like, every school is so it's failing, even based on what the state says is the standard. Justin was like, well, what if you, we don't have to enroll him this year because in Alabama school wasn't mandatory until six, I believe. And so we moved when he was five. And so we had a year and he was like, what if you just keep him at home for a year and just teach him at home because you don't have to enroll him until he's six. And then maybe by the time he's six, we'll either have moved back to Florida, the economy will have recovered, or we can move to a better spot in the state. And so I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Let's just whatever. So I bought some like workbooks <laughs> at a parent teacher store because I didn't know what I was doing. I was bucking against homeschooling. I was like, this is just a stopgap measure. We're going to move again. Like we knew we were going to move again within the year. We didn't know if it was going to be somewhere else in the U.S. or just within Alabama. Um, and so I'm like, this is just for now. This is just for now. I print out some tests online. I figure out where he's at. And then we start doing the workbooks at home. But then um, our finances took a really, really rough turn. I was in a wreck. Um, our car was totaled. That was it. That was the only car we had because we had actually sold our second vehicle before we moved to Alabama. So I had to start working again. But I was so convicted about not putting my son into the school system that I just said, okay, if this is, if homeschooling is just a, a stop gap measure and I'm just teaching the basics right now, it's not a big deal. He'll catch up. Even if he gets behind, he'll catch up. So we go, um, and I put out some ads on Craigslist, which is, you know, super janky. I had previously owned before I even ever met Justin, I owned a cleaning company. I found some people through Craigslist who needed full-time housekeepers and nannies. And so I have had, I had experience with both housekeeping and nannying, not super glamorous, but it pays money. And I determined ahead of time that during the interviews for these housekeeping and nannying positions that I would just be upfront with people and tell them I have my seven, well, I have my six-year-old or five-year-old son with me. Um, I'm keeping him at home. And I 
can only do this job. And I have like, you know, great references and all that whatnot, but I can only work for you if my son can come with me. And if it does, if that doesn't work for you, well, then I can't work for you. But if that does work for you, I will come work for you. And um, I had several people who were like, oh, I totally understand, especially after, you know, I explained where we lived and, you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I wouldn't put my kids in that school either. The wild thing is looking back on that is that their kids in the good schools were learning the same stuff as the kids in the bad schools scary air quotes, you know? So there was no difference in what the kids were being taught. The the only thing that was different was the location of the building. That was it. There was no difference. And uh, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, if we just lived in a better neighborhood or a better school district, like I would totally put my kid into school. God was working on me during this time heavily with convictions and paying for past sins. So I had to work. I didn't have a choice. I had to work full time. I was um, nannying and housekeeping and homeschooling at the bringing, dragging my poor child along with me (laughs) to these jobs. And he was, he would have to sit there at somebody else's dining room table while I cleaned their kitchens. And while I took care of their babies, it worked. It wasn't ideal, but he learned and he learned more than I thought he was going to, because, you know, each of those little workbooks has like an exit test in the back and he would take the test and he would get it all right. And I was like, okay, we're going to the next workbook. And that's really how I started. So not very happy about it, but I did it and I just had to make it work. And so, um, we, we ended up paying off a lot of the debt doing this with me working the goal was always to bring me home though. That was the goal. Um, and I think initially he wasn't on board with that, but I think too, initially it wasn't that he wanted me to work. I think it was that we had been so trapped in the sin cycle of debt accumulation that there was no other way out. He didn't see any other path. So I think I was just so, we were so trapped in that cycle of um, debt accumulation and trying to keep up with the Joneses and living the two, two car picket fence lifestyle, even though we were trying very hard not to live that lifestyle. um, A friend of mine then introduced us to Financial Peace University, which of course is well known in the Christian circles. Um, And we took the course and we immediately recognized where our problems were at. And it wasn't until we sat down and we were looking all of our budgeting issues right in the face that we started uncovering like deep rooted sins, like materialism, especially, and how all of that led to me having to go to work. I didn't have a choice. So, and, and, and a lot of that was my fault because I was not a good steward of what God had given us. Um, Justin is a, he's thrifty. He's a saver. He's a budgeter for me. I didn't grow up with money. And so to have money was like nothing like it, it, it's, it's numbers. It makes no sense to me. I'm like, if there's money, I'm just going to spend it. Yeah. Well, that's not how God says you should treat money. (laughs) So I had some really deep rooted sin issues that I had to take care of. And it was through this process of working and homeschooling at the same time where I had to stare 
my sin right in the face. Literally, I had to, I had to stare my choices, my, my life choices right in the face. Not only did my, I'll say, you know, my sin choices of being a debt accumulator pile onto this, but also sin choices from the past of being promiscuous. And, you know, we weren't married when I got pregnant and we didn't have a savings and we, we hadn't talked about what life would look like if we stayed together, things like that. So there was, there was a lot of like warfare going on because Justin didn't, we weren't on the same pages even. And I got saved, but he didn't, but we entered into the relationship both as unrepentant people. There was warfare going on with that and just a lot of warfare. And so I know this sounds like it's not about homeschooling, but it all really is because if you look back on it, all of this led up to homeschooling and homeschooling brought us through so much of this. So homeschooling ended up kind of being the glue that fixed our family. And now it was Christ that fixed our family, but it was through the vehicle of homeschooling. It, it ends up that we work enough to pay off most of the debt, or at least the crippling debt, the debt that kept me from coming home. We still had debt even after I did come home and it took another 10 years to pay that off. <laughs> but it was, it got to the point where we could breathe. And when we could breathe, that's when it was time for me to come home. I still worked from home. I still had part-time jobs. I still picked up gig work on the sides to bring in extra money to at least pay for groceries or things like that. And again, that was all part of paying for that, that sin consequence where had we not done that in the first place, I could have been home from the get-go and I could have had those first five years with my child from the get-go. Um, but I you know, we, you don't know when you're 20, what you're doing. You have no idea. No, you have, you think, you know, but you have no idea. I was just going to say, I think it's pretty interesting, like hearing you talk about just like all those things leading up and around homeschooling, like even from an outsider's perspective, it's interesting to be like, oh yeah, God was basically like, he was making sure like his plan was going to happen. Whether you fought going to Alabama, you fought the neighborhood you were living in, you fought what kind of job you were doing, you fought what kind of debt you were going to have. He's like, nope, I'm going to get you to circle back around here. And which obviously everything works for his glory. And so to see that come together, like hitting those roadblocks and having things removed that you're like heartbroken. Whenever we first were talking about homeschooling ourselves. I had it in my head. I want my kid to go to the private school that I went to the private Christian school. I went to, I wanted that experience for him. I wanted that. I wanted that biblical foundation because bless my heart uh, for some reason in my head, I thought, well, I mean, obviously I'm going to take him to church, but I want him to have, you know, Bible class every day and memorize Bible verses and be in the musicals. And And I was so upset and disappointed whenever we couldn't afford the private school to give my idea of how it should look to put it into fruition. And then now looking back, I'm like, thank you, God, for not listening to me. (laughs) Thank you for actually doing your thing. Thank you for answering my prayers with a no. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Like, I I think about that all the time now, actually, because I was just, we were just having a conversation about, um, 
although we ended up pregnant immediately after moving in with each other, Justin is infertile and I am infertile. So it was literally a miracle that that happened. But 24 year old me and 34 year old me are two very different people. And so like, if I could go back and tell myself, I would be like, you have no, you have no idea, you know, what your life is going to look like in 10 years. It's going to be so amazing. Have the children, keep them home, correct the sin issues, like take care of your problems. Just do it now. Like dedicate the youngest years of your life to the, to God and to your babies and to your husband and do it now because now at so well, 37, now at 37, it's like the clock times up. It's not happening now. And I'm like bittersweet about it. I'm glad that we're able to move into our next phase of life and, and boot a chicken out of the roost, I guess, you know, pretty soon, not yet, thankfully, but pretty soon still, it's like heartbreaking to think about how much time I wasted fighting God's will for my life. Uh, and you know, a lot of that time I wasn't saved. So I didn't know. I just thought I'm just going to do what the world's doing because that's what the world is doing. I didn't know that there was a better way. And I didn't know that it led to contentment. And I didn't know that it led to huge blessings. And I didn't know that it led to me being a really different person. Isn't it on the flip side of that? Like, I think I find it encouraging as a homeschooling family to think that like, I mean, we're not naive to think that our children will never make the wrong decisions. They'll never make mistakes. I mean, they have to get to heaven on their own, they by their own choices, they can screw up royally and they're, but the grace of God. But I think as a homeschooling family, what a wonderful privilege it is that looking back, you know, I mean, everybody in general wants their kids to learn from their mistakes. Right. He was there. He was literally there watching us fix our sins, like pay for them. He was literally there watching us work our way out of the hole we had dug for ourselves. Two years go by. I homeschooled for two years in second grade. We did move again. We had moved again um, in between that space, but we were still in the same district as we had been previously. So he wasn't going into that school. Um, but then a year goes by after that, and we move into the best school district in the state, the, the top A rate, whatever. You can't get a better school than that school. And Austin had begun asking if he was going to go to public school. And he was seven at the time. And I think I had said before, I don't know what I was thinking at this time, because I couldn't tell you why I thought it was okay for a seven-year-old to make a decision regarding his education. But we had said from the beginning that if he asked to go to public school, we weren't going to stop him from going. It wasn't, I was kind of, I think a little bit leery of letting homeschooling become an idol. Um, if that makes sense. Cause I know I'm prone to that where I can be like, Oh, look, your problems with your kids would just be fixed. If you homeschooled, right. which that's not true. Your problems with your kids would be fixed. If you repented homeschooling will do that. Just not in the way you right. think <laughs> exactly. it will not be homeschooling that fixes everything. It will be all the repentance you have to do while you are homeschooling. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> so Uh, So anyways, we move into the best district in the state and it's the best elementary school in the state. And I'm pumped because that means I can start working again. 
I had this idea for launching a business and I'm entrepreneurial minded. So I was waiting for the right time and opportunity. And it just seemed like all the doors were opening and blah, 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 blah. And I was not, let me tell you, I was not in scripture. I was not in prayer. I was not, I was saved, but not walking with God. I was doing what Lindsay wanted to do and saying, sprinkle some Jesus on it. Right. So that's what I was doing. Um, and so I went to go start this business and I had the utter conviction that I was not to start this business. Absolutely not to start this business. I, I won't tell you, I heard the voice of God or anything like that. Cause that's not true. I just knew I wasn't supposed to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it, like the fibers of my core knew I was not supposed to start this business. And, um, in typical me fashion, I completely ignored that red flag and said, I'm going to do it anyway, because I want to do it. And so I did, I started this business and it conveniently, we lived like a quarter mile from the school. It was perfect. If anything, if, and I was convinced, like if anything happens, I'm right down the street, I can just you know, pop in there at any time. Well, that's not how public school works. You can't just pop in the school at any time. So I go through all of that and I'm in that school like five days a week, literally I'm volunteering all the time. And this is the best school in the state. And the stuff I was hearing from second graders was the same stuff I had heard from the babies in West Palm beach (laughs) in the bad school. Like it was the same stuff. And I was like, I am so floored right now because this is the best school in the whole state. And and then all these things happened and not to put down the school, but a a bunch of stuff happened. And it was just like one thing after another, after another, after another. And finally it got to Christmas. That's how long we lasted, but the damage was already done. So the problem then was we had to uh, recover our child. And the saddest part is, is that my selfishness. So this is part of the repentance of sin. Again, I knew I was not supposed to do this thing. I did it anyway. And it took about a year, a year and a half to recover Austin to the point where he was a functioning child again, not even functioning academically, just functioning spiritually and emotionally because they had tore him down so far to where he was, he was coming off the bus every day, just crying about how stupid he was and about how he was never going to be able to, to read just all these things had happened. And I was like, what is happening to my child? And the school was trying to push medication and he hadn't had a diagnosis or anything. So I was like, what is going on here? So we started, we started the process of testing for um, like learning disorders and things like that, which was silly because it wouldn't have mattered what the disorders were. When we brought him home, we would have just fixed them. Like we would have, it's not hard to work with anything when you bring your child home because you are your child's best teacher, you know, your child. So we started the process and he was identified as incredibly gifted, which I didn't know at the time when they sent me the letter for giftedness, I thought, oh, he's a smart kid. Well, he was a smart kid, but giftedness is not bright. Giftedness is not like high achieving. Giftedness is a big asynchronization and learning. So he was incredibly talented in math and sciences and incredibly behind in readings and writing. That's as far as we went with the testing. 
And then, so we brought him home and then actually to get those results, I had to have the librarian of the school who I was friends with steal them because <laughs> the school wouldn't send them to me after I pulled them out. <laughs> Which is crazy. It's oh. your information about your child. It's my child's information. <sighs> and I had to have a librarian steal Ridiculous. it for me. And that's why I won't name the right. school. because <laughs> That's nice of you. <laughs> she doesn't work there anymore. Oh, well, <laughs> she also homeschools me. Oh, that says a lot. Okay. <laughs> She has since had children and has since homeschooled them. Um, but all these crazy things that happened, and this was supposed to be the best school in the whole state. And it just it solidified again, like the conviction at this time. I was praying hard to move back to Florida. We did not want to be in Alabama, we did not assimilate well. God loved the people in Alabama, some of the nicest, kindest sweetest people I've ever met. People would literally give their shirts off their back for you, but I'm a Florida girl. I know that sounds crazy. I love everything about Florida. So we were praying hard to come back to Florida. The economy had started recovering. Um, there were job postings coming up for my husband's company. And so I was just like, I was telling Justin, uh, just apply anywhere, anywhere in Florida. I don't care where, just get us back in the state and we'll figure it out. So he starts applying and he does, he pops one up, um, for North Florida, which was even further North of where we had lived close to St. Augustine. So, um, we took a road trip one weekend and we toured St. Augustine and we fell in love with it. And then we came back and he got the job and we had three weeks to move out of Alabama. So we had to literally just fire sale everything. Uh, we moved with a 16 foot pod and that was it. That's all we had <laughs> And we sold a 26 foot U-Hauls worth of stuff. We donated a 26 foot U-Hauls worth of stuff and we jumped a 26 foot U-Haul worth of wow. stuff. So, I mean, we literally just fire sold everything. So again, here we are um, homeschooling throughout this because it had been about six months between, yeah, it had been almost six months between when we pulled him out of school to when we moved again back to Florida. So I call that six months of time in the public school, the six months when mommy lost her mind. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know. It like happens. I wanted to do things my way. Yeah. I just wanted to do things my way. It's both a blessing and a curse that he had such a bad experience with public school because now I can be like, Hey, if you don't shape up, <laughs> there's a bus right. that comes back. I've scouted it out. I see it. <laughs> I know where the bus station <laughs> don't make me take you to the bus. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so anyways, we moved back to Florida and we, we fit right into this great co-op group, which prior to that, we hadn't had a co-op. I was literally doing it all on my own um, because where we were at in Alabama was the best. There weren't any homeschoolers in that district. And the few that I met that I had linked up with, they had children that were severely special needs. And, and so we did hang out with, with them because they were the only other homeschoolers. It was literally people who the school could not meet their needs, not just people who didn't want to put their kids in the public school, but people who had um, children that had such severe special needs, the school could not cater to them. And so that was the homeschooling community that we were in in Alabama. And it was beautiful. My son got such a great, I got such a great experience out of it because we got to meet kids that were severely autistic, kids with severe um, learning disabilities or severe physical disabilities. 
And my son learned immediately that that community was so accepting. Like it was almost healing Mm -hmm. because he was so broken about it spiritually and emotionally. He was so broken coming out of the public school system. And when he went in, when we went into that community and that's the only people, they were the physically broken people. Like, and I say that with, you know, air quotes because those people were not broken. But the, the beautiful thing is, is that they just accepted him and they accepted me as a mom. And I got to see firsthand, like, these are the people that the public school says aren't even worth teaching. And, and I'm like, but these children are beautiful and their parents are beautiful and they are worth teaching. Right. And mm-hmm. their parents think they're so worth teaching that the parents are willing to do it on their own with like no help, zero help. That was eye opening to me to see this community that was so beautiful, but they weren't, you know, they, it wasn't kids that could run and play like my son could. And it wasn't kids that could, it, it wasn't children like my son. And although it was beautiful and it was very, very healing, he still didn't feel like he fit in, you know? They did accept him and he did accept them and, and it was great, but you know, he needed children who could play and run and have the sports and stuff with him. We moved to Florida and like we, we rented a house sight unseen it, and it turned out to be great. The, the community we, we got into was super welcoming, very diverse, very open. Um, and it was very like uh, unstructured. And so at this point in time, our homeschool was very unstructured. We had moved so much, um, bringing Austin out of school in, into the homeschool setting. We had to step back from curriculum. We couldn't do workbooks. I couldn't even get him to sit and read a book without tears because he was convinced that he was dumb. And that he couldn't read and that he couldn't do the math and that he was never going to amount to anything. And this is, this was stuff, not that we were telling him, this is stuff that he learned in the system. And now I know there were teachers who were telling him this because I had heard it, but there were also students telling him this and it was reinforced, you know, every time, every day he'd get a note sent home talking about all the bad stuff he did. He would get, you know, the card with the red dot on it and all the infractions from the day. And so, and he could read them. <laughs> the, the ironic part is, is that he actually could read very well. And so he would read the notes and then he, that's what he was crying when he would come off the bus. He was reading what the teachers were talking about during the day. We took about six months, that six months time in between pulling him out of school and then moving to Florida where we just didn't do school. We did literally nothing. I think I bought a book on birds and he got obsessed with birds So he was building bird feeders. We were walking the bird trails. There's a lot of bird trails in Alabama. There's a lot of Audubon birding trails. So we got some binoculars and we were out in the woods all the time. We were outside as much as we could possibly be. Anything that resembled classroom setting just sparked such anxiety in him that I was like, if I'm going to homeschool him, um, just show me how to repair this boy because I don't know. All I knew about school was what I experienced in public school. So I am a product of public school. My mom's a product of Catholic 
parochial school. My dad's a product. I went to the same public school that my dad graduated from. So like public school, traditional school is all I knew. I had this friend at the time where I was like pouring my heart out to her about how upset I was about having to rebuild my child, you know, after, and had I just listened the first time, this would never have happened. And she was like, have you ever heard of this pastor? (laughs) And she's like, his name's Vodi Bocham and I've got a thing to send to you. So she sends me this series that he, and I sent it to Mm -hmm. you, the children of Yes, I'm going to link it because it's incredible. (laughs) Talk about convicting, but yes, please do tell. So she sends me this series that Vodi Bochum does on the children of Caesar. And it's about the results of sending your children as a Christian. If you send your children to the Romans, why are you surprised when your children come home dressed up and acting like Romans? (laughs) You sent them to the Romans. Don't be surprised when you send your children to Caesar and they come home worshiping Caesar. So she sends me this and I don't know if she sent me this to offend me or what, but the end result was that I was so beyond convicted that everything I thought about school was wrong, that I just picked up the books that I had bought and donated them to the library, the curriculum books, because I was like, we're just not doing this. We're not. And so I pick up the books and I just take them to the library and the the librarian friend before we, she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're just quitting school. (laughs) And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this thing called unschooling where we just don't do school. (laughs) It's fine. We're just not doing school anymore. It's fine. (laughs) She's like, what? (laughs) And so I'm listening to this. It's a series of sermons to the point, like, I don't know if you've ever been convicted by something to the point where like, if you try to go against it, it's like the Holy Spirit just grabs the back of your neck like a cat. So that was the type of conviction we experienced with homeschooling was like, every time I thought, okay, well, we're moving again, maybe this school district. And I would be like, Yank, nope, mm-hmm. not happening. No, it's like, a, not it's like a parent going, I have told you and told you don't yeah. go out and play in the street. Like, <laughs> like, no, it was like, you know, really a, a yanking where like God would just yank the back of my head and be like, what are you doing? Why? I have told you what your purpose is. Stop doing the things that I have not told you to do. Right. I told you what you're supposed to be doing. If anybody else listens to those Bodhi Bokum sermons. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Convicted. In fact, I, so whenever I was watching the first one, I've only made it through the first one. And I am, yeah, I'm probably going to get sucked into all the things, but so, so thank you ahead of time. I appreciate that. Or not. Yes. I might, (laughs) I might have some words for you later. I don't really know, but I did take a picture of it because I figured I would read it. It was talking about the average school day. It was the part where he's talking about how many hours and the average school day. And so I was going to read this. It said, you figure in sleep eight hours eating and bathing two hours, travel one hour, like to all your stuff, school eight hours, homework two hours, television and social two hours, and that equals 23 hours. And he said he didn't figure in your extracurricular activities. And then, you know, and he talked about how you can sit down for 30 minutes a day 
and think that you're doing a good job by doing like a devotional with them or, or he said, I had to laugh because I'm like, I did this as a child and my children do it. But you say, so what did you learn in school today? And they're like, nothing. We're, I don't know. And you're like, seriously, like you were there for eight hours and you didn't do anything like, no, you didn't. But you know, they don't know what they know. And he was talking about how, like, um, like, well, and he gave scripture, of course, to back it up. But whenever he was talking about the child or the student learns to imitate the teacher. And so, yeah, and it goes back to the Caesar and the Romans, where if you are sending your child to be instructed by these people, they're spending the majority of their day with people other than you. Why would you do that? And then expect them to automatically know like that the Lord comes first or to know biblical stuff, even in a Christian school setting, right? Even in a Christian, because people screw up, right? Yeah. People, the teachers are still humans. They're still going to make mistakes. And of course he went into, you know, stories about deacons and Christian teachers Mm -hmm. doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, nobody is above making a mistake. And as parents, we're not above making mistakes either because we can share our own sins, you know, but whenever I think of people that, and, and I struggle to like talking about, like thinking that they're not capable of teaching their children, they are not smart enough or they're not, you know, they can't do it because they work. You know, I had somebody tell me that the other day, they're like, well, some people have jobs and they can't do it. I'm like, hi, I work 24 hour shifts and my husband travels for work. I do understand that. I understand that. But is that an excuse because you're trying to get out of your conviction of doing it? Or is it like you don't have the resources? You don't know what there's, what it is that's out there. And so, you know, for like in that video series, he's talking about why do you have it in your head that you are not capable of teaching your child? It's kind of like that meme that says like, don't question your ability to teach your children, question the institution that made you feel like you could not teach your children. So why are you sending your children- to be taught by people that made you feel like you couldn't teach your kids. Like why? (laughs) And, and that's the world telling you that you are not worthy enough to take care and to lead the lives that the Lord has put in your lap. Like he's given them to you. He did not have them just spontaneously like happen in the world. And they're sitting at a desk. Like he gave them to you to raise the wild thing about all of this is we don't feel capable of teaching our children something so simple as arithmetic or reading, but we taught them to talk. We taught them to walk. We taught them to potty. We taught them to share. We taught them to feed themselves. We taught them how to function. We taught them how to be safe. Like we've taught them all these things. And yet we think that we're not capable of teaching children something so simple as what an ABC is or what a one, two, three is. God says all knowledge is from him. And knowledge is the beginning of fear of the Lord. If we're not teaching our children fear and admonition of the Lord, we're not teaching them anything. Mm -hmm. We're not teaching them actual knowledge. We're teaching them We're teaching them how to count and how to read, but we're not teaching them what actual wisdom is. Mm -hmm. And when you look throughout 
all of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, wisdom is always practical knowledge. Wisdom from the Lord is always practical. It's not high and lofty. It's not abstract. Wisdom is always able to put in practice. And to be thinking that we have to teach our children abstract concepts so that they can function in the world is so opposite of what God says, what our children need. God says that our children need the same thing that we need, which is first and foremost, the gospel. And secondly, fear and admonition, fear and not fear and, and knowledge of the Lord and that we are to teach them while they are standing and while they are sitting and while we are walking by the way right. and while from sun up to sundown. And there's no separation anywhere in scripture of hand your child to the Roman. Nowhere in scripture does God command you to give the rest of the knowledge the, the, the rest of the teaching of the knowledge of God to the state. In fact, he commands the opposite. He says, you are to have your child with you and to raise them in fear and admonition of the Lord. And because I had never read the scripture, I did not know these things until Mr. Bocum was like, you should be reading your Bible. And I was like, you're right. I should be reading my Bible. <laughs> I'm very convicted about a lot of things right now, sir. And it's interesting how like, you know, we grow like the longer, you know, I went from starting with, I'll do one year at a time with my son, you know, I'll just do one year at a time. And then before you knew it, like now it, this is just what we're doing. This is just it. And of course, if anything has done anything for me in the past year, it's only confirmed to me that we made the right decision that the Lord actually started planning this way ahead of time to protect my children seven plus years ago. He made it to where my child could not go to that public school or the private school that I wanted because of multiple different things. But this past year would be one of those things. It was just confirmation, (laughs) you know, like if I didn't need a reminder, there was a big one, a whole year long worthy of one, you know, Right. and, but if I could get through to somebody, you know, especially a believer that was a homeschooler and they were just struggling with the thought of. I don't know if I can do this. Like, yeah, ideally I should be keeping them home and homeschooling them. Well, if that, if you're saying that to me, that's a conviction and you better be paying Mm -hmm. attention to it because you don't know what is going on behind the scenes that only the Lord sees. And if you're worried about, it's not that they, I mean, yes, our children need to know how to you know, pay bills and do life skills. And, but those things are going to naturally come around because they're going to be around you. They're going to learn how to cook. They're le- going to learn how to clean. They're going to learn how yep. to, you know, write a check. If at that point in time, if that's still even available, whenever they're old enough, you know, who knows, but you know, those things all work themselves out. What a better way to learn how to read than to read the Bible and to read devotionals. Right. And what better right. way to communicate with people than to talk about the Lord? Like they will grow, they will learn words, words in the Bible are so much better than words of like slang today where they can't come up with anything creative. So have them learn vocabulary from the Bible. Like let's do it that way. So it is really fun, but there's so much, like I used to think that the standard was the standard, right? Like the state standard was the standard. And this goes, this wraps all the way back around to now I have a completely different worldview 
And my husband actually stopped me once um, and he's not saved. So if, if everybody who's a believer could pray That's for right. salvation. That's right. Yeah. Let's just pour into That's that. That's right. We'll claim it. <laughs> so he had stopped me once because I was having anxiety about like Austin falling behind in, in, in study and things like that. And it's, it's very difficult. I know from experience as a homeschooling mom, especially one who's not sure that she's doing the right things, which initially in those first few years is all the time, like all the time, (laughs) you will doubt yourself all the time. And I was convicted beyond convicted. And I still doubted what I was doing. I knew what I was doing was right, but there's still so much culture in me where I believe that I've got to be doing all the things. I was struggling with anxiety regarding like testing and was I doing enough and where are we doing the right extracurriculars and where are we in the right clubs and where are we doing the right books and things like that. And we weren't even really doing textbooks at the time because we were pretty much unschooling. And I still felt like, is this the wrong thing to be doing and things like that. And uh, my husband stopped me one night in the middle of probably an anxiety fueled rant. And he was like, you're a Christian, right? And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, then why do you care about what the world is telling you is the standard? Don't you have a different standard? And I was like, why aren't you saved? <laughs> you know, like, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Can we, can we like stop here? Because you're not supposed to be convicting me. Stop. <laughs> so, but he really, he had a point. He was like, by whose standard? Because if my standard for anything is the world, is what the world says, that I am completely going against the gospel. The standard for what the world says is absolutely antithetical to what God says. So anything that God says, the world does a 180 and says the opposite. And if you think that there is any God in the public school system, bless your heart, (laughs) bless your heart, as they say in Alabama. And it doesn't matter. Like I I wish people could see, because I saw it myself. It doesn't matter if you're in the best school district with the best teachers who are Christian, who do go to church, who have kids in the schools that are, that are Christian because I was in the middle of the Bible belt. It it didn't even matter. None of that mattered because that curriculum coming down from the state has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. God. Nothing. There is nothing good in that curriculum, nothing worth meditating on nothing worth it's, it's, garbage all of its garbage and you can defend your teacher being a christian and you can defend you living in the bible belt and you can defend you you being a christian but you cannot defend what the world is piping literally funneling into your child's mind so you can defend all those other things but at the top it's corrupt at the top it's anti-god and it's being directly piped into your kid and there's just not a nice way to say that and, and that offends people. <laughs> well, it really does. But that is the truth. But is it a, is yes. it an offense or is it a conviction? A conviction. So. Right. And I'm learning now in my older age, I'm learning <laughs> that when I feel offended about something that I have to stop and sit in that offense for a minute and really search myself. It, am I offended because what was said was offensive or am I offended because what was said ought to be convicting me 
of what is going on in my life. And so, and then if I'm not offended, it's, I'm not offended. I'm not convicted. I can just walk away from it. So if somebody calls me a bad name, am I offended? Why do I care about their opinion? No. Whose opinion do I care about? God's period. So if somebody says something to me, that's offensive, well, carry on. I don't care. But if somebody says something to me, that's offensive and I examine it and it's offensive because I know what they're saying is real and true, then that's not offense. That's a toe crushing that needed to happen to change me. And so I'm learning to sit in that feeling, that uncomfortable feeling and examine it. Is what you're saying supposed to be convicting me? And if I almost always, I can guarantee you that if you ask yourself, is this supposed to be a conviction? It is a conviction. If you have to stop and ask yourself, am I supposed to be convicted about this? I guarantee you it's a conviction. Yeah, that, in other words, it means that it's confirming what you already know. No, right. And, and I, I guarantee you the longer you sit in that and you cry out to God, the harder it will get to look at that and be anything but convicted and to do anything about it, but change to repent and to change. And it just, man, that's a hard thing. It to really is. At. It really is. It's like just looking in the mirror and being like, what did I do? <laughs> that's right. I feel like, I feel like we could talk about that for like ever. Yeah. <laughs> forever and ever for hours and hours. And basically to, to wrap it up for now, unfortunately, because I just, like I said, I want to keep on talking, but alas, here we are. Um, so tell everybody, how can they connect with you? Well, I have, I have a very small online presence. So the only place you can find me is on Instagram at uh, gardening.geek. The only thing I can say in closing is that we've been going on nine years now. And it has been the most incredible and amazing and terrifying nine years of my life. And I would not trade it for anything. I don't regret a single second of it. I love it. Um, I love it. I'm so appreciative of you (laughs) and your story and your information and just your encouragement. And so, and I know it's going to be an encouragement to other people. They might feel like it's a conviction, but it is an encouragement anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's, here's a great thing about encouragement. Biblically encourage means to put courage in someone. We culturally believe that encouragement is a pat on the back and it is not encouragement is to put the courage in someone. And so if I have put courage in you, to do the hard thing, then my job. That's right. That's (laughs) awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Wow. Right. I just really appreciate you being here and I really hope that you gained something valuable from it, gained some encouragement. Maybe you gained some confirmation on what you're supposed to be doing with yourself, your life, your family, and everywhere in between. I'm really hoping that this podcast finds someone who may be looking for a little bit of encouragement, whether through homeschool, through their faith, their health, their overall life, whatever the reason, they just need a good connection with someone. And if that's you, you found a friend. I invite you to join me in my private Facebook group. It's called Imperfectly Pollyanna, Finding the Good. That's just a little bit of an extension of this part of our world to be able to share positivity, resources, tips, tricks, 
all the things. I'd really like to hear what it is that you as a listener are wanting to hear more of on this podcast. Yes, I have my own goals, but what good are my goals if they're not meeting the needs of my listeners, right? So I'd love to hear from you. You can message me on Facebook or Instagram, both underneath Imperfectly Pollyanna. You can also send me a quick email at Courtney at imperfectlypollyanna.com. Remember, you are loved, and I am glad you're here. See you next time.